Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. On today's show, we have uh, Scott Cooper joining us. Scott works with Andrew now with uh, Four Eyes in uh, power meter design. Scott, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. So to give a little bit of background on Scott, uh, he is a former pro triathlete. Uh, he recently won, I guess, was it your first win in an ultra marathon? Uh, not my first win, but okay. it was my first 100-mile ultra marathon. Okay. Uh, and you also set a course record and you did that through terrible conditions, thunderstorms and over top of mountains and through mud and all that fun stuff. And to top that off, you've got your PhD in engineering as well. So I would, I think it's pretty safe to say, you know what you're talking about when it comes to sports technology. I'm at least good at pretending I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a good place to start. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of Scott's background is in power meters, uh, working for four eyes. He's worked a lot on the development of different power meters and knows the technology behind them. So today we wanted to have a discussion just about some of that technology that goes into them and how they're designed, why they make certain choices and how it impacts accuracy. And to give a little bit of context for, for listeners and maybe some people who are, you know, maybe new to cycling and triathlon and um, don't don't necessarily appreciate the the role that power meters play these days. Um, in my coaching practice over the last uh, coming on seven years, I've seen the growth of the industry from maybe ten percent adoption to uh, well, at least in my cohort. And I'm a data driven guy, so I maybe I, I maybe push it a little bit more than some coaches, but um, my cohort's probably eighty or eighty five percent on power meters. Those those people who who bike, and of those, maybe a quarter or or more have more than one power meter uh, on their on their different bikes. And uh, their the value the training value of uh, of having a power meter is tremendous. Um, I won't dwell too much on it, but it really gives you the gold standard objective metric of mechanical power produced, which then you can use to either design a training program or design, you know, specific workouts. Uh, you can use it to pace races. You can uh, have fairly accurate calculations of, uh, of um, you know, metabolic costs. And, and you, you can use power meters again testing to get really terrifically accurate um, gauges of, of progress and, and baseline fitness. So the, the list is super long, and that's why this is such an important technology in cycling and in triathlon. And uh, this is why we're, we're talking to you folks about it today. So for a little bit of context, I guess, what was the first time you used a power meter in your own career? Yeah, so um, I was, I, I would say, a fairly early adopter, at least in the triathlon scene of power meters. So um, the first one I got was back in maybe 2010-ish. And then that was at a time where I was just getting into the sport and um, working with a coach. And then he recommended that uh, to some of the points that you just had there, Mike, the uh, the, the advantages of being able to train with power are huge, you know, just like the extra specificity you can get and, um, and really being able to nail in those workouts. Uh, so he recommended that I get one, um, at the time, um, power meters were thousands of dollars to get one. So luckily enough, I had sponsors that were able to help me with that, but, uh, yeah, so I've been riding with a power meter for around a decade now, um, on dry bikes, mountain bikes, road bikes, just every, every, every time I can, I'll always have a power meter. Cool. And what was, uh, what technology was the first one? Was it uh, hub based or? Yeah. So the first one I had was a um, spider based power meter, um, which were, you know, at the time, the really only options where you could get a hub based power meter or a spider based. Um, there weren't too many other things out there or they were just starting to show up. So uh, I went with the uh, spider based um solely for the reason that it would, could be on my bike all the time and didn't matter about race wheels or training wheels. I could, could just always have it there. And I think that's an interesting point too, because if you have a hub-based power meter, you're tied to that set of wheels. And if you have to switch to another hub-based, there might be a slight different in, difference in calibration or accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that, that brings us to the main question of accuracy. What uh, What differences do you see in the different technologies and what 
in your opinion, what's kind of the the leading edge and the best way to measure? And I'm just going to butt in, guys, just to give a little bit of uh, a little bit of an explanation again for folks who are you know, maybe not as as steeped in the in the technology as as the three of us. Um, the there are different places you can pl- you can install a power meter along your bike's drivetrain. So that's you know from the point that your pedals interface with your feet to the point where well. As a cliche, the rubber meets the road. Um, so along that that mechanical drivetrain path, there are several spots you can put the power meter, and this is what we're going to talk about next. Just to give you some um, some terminology that we're throwing out there, which you may not be familiar with, uh, everyone knows what a pedal is. Um, the next the next spot would be the crank arm, which is what connects the pedal to the you know the bottom bracket or the spider of your. Um, of your crank, which is where your chain ring sits. So this is the front gearing on your bike. So in that crank, you have the crank arm option. You have the spider, which is what connects the crank arm to the rings itself. Um, there is, uh, I believe, a ring option even. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there yeah, it's are, brand new out. Is that right? It's exciting. Yep. Yeah, exciting new technology. Yeah, from SRAM. Um, you can put you can put a power meter right in the in the bottom bracket, which is where you know the the, the spindle uh, of your crank arm sits, and then. And uh, downstream, you can also put it in the hub. So when uh, when uh, Scott and Andrew were talking about his first power meter, um, Andrew asked if it was a hub power meter. So this is the the hub of your rear wheel where your your bearings sit and to which your rear cassette attaches. And this is uh, you know old, older technology, but still I think relevant. And this is the furthest point down the drivetrain that you can you can place your power meter. Zach, did I cover it all? I think that hit all of them, yeah. And then the one last one that I would me- mention is that there's also uh, what we call indirect measurement power meters. So ah, yes. those are ones that would be, for example, uh, something that's measuring the wind resistance on the front of your bike. And then based on that, you can get some use and algorithms to be able to figure out what the what the required power is to move a, a cyclist at whatever speed, wind speed you're, you're picking up out of that. And I think PowerPod is the brand that has that, right? That uh, Aeropod. One? Aeropod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many of those names that yeah. are similar. And I think there's a couple of smaller companies that are out there as well, but there's uh, that's the the kind of final way to actually measure power is that indirect uh, measurement, where the rest of them are all using um, some sort of uh, strain measurement to be able to see how you're actually um, affecting the mechanical system that is your bike, and then and being able to calculate the power from that. Okay, so um, we we should get back to the original question that Andrew had about what what about accuracy in the in the different power meters. But maybe before we do that, if we can have a a quick overview of how direct uh, force measurement power meters work. What's the technology like? How do they how do they do what they do? Yeah. So the 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 main thing that they're all doing is they're looking at uh, strain and then and then being able to interpret or extrapolate from that strain what um, what amount of force is being put onto uh, whatever component of the bike it is. Um, so strains the essentially the amount that a material is going to deform. Uh, in response to putting a stress on it or putting a force on it. So if you think about in the the um, situation of a bike, um, you're going to push on the pedals. And then when you push on the pedals, the force that's created by your, your foot uh, is going to cause, you know, these deformations at whatever point along the, the, the drivetrain you're, you're measuring from. Let's just use crank arm as an example right now. Um, but as you push on the pedal, it's going to cause a little bit of, of bend and, and change in the shape of the whole crank arm. Um, and then so what companies will do is they measure that strain. So depending on where you are in the drivetrain, it's in different ways. But you measure that strain. That tells you how much force is being applied. And then you can use um, the speed that, again, if we use the crank arm as an example, uh, it would be your cadence. So how quickly your foot's going around um, for each pedal stroke. And then you can multiply those two values together. And then that gives you the, the power value that, that you're putting out onto your, onto your bike. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So anyways, that's, yeah, that's the way that it's um, the direct power measurements made. And then, as I mentioned before, indirect is just using uh, typically just wind resistance. It's, it's measuring the, um, how much you're, you're pushing into the wind and then making some calculations based on other known variables. Then you can back calculate the amount of power required to do that. So those are the two main ways to do it. Um, and then speaking to the accuracy, which I guess getting back to the original question. Um, so the, the one sort of important point, um, to bring up is, uh, with power meters and, and we have these points all the way along, we have 
as you mentioned, the pedal, then the crank arm, then the crank spider, then the chain ring, then the bottom bracket, then the hub. Um, as you go farther and farther away from your foot, essentially, or farther and farther away from the human body, um, you're going to start having losses um, from things like friction and from the different materials along the way deforming. Um, so the, the most um, direct measurement and, and true measurement of the power you're putting out would be something that's going to be as close to the, the human body as possible. Um, so in today's technology, the, the pedal is the closest you can get to the, um, uh, you know, the actual foot that's pushing, pushing the pressure into the, the drivetrain. So in terms of the accuracy of, of true power, um, I'd like to say that as you get closer to the um, yeah to that contact point, you're going to get a more realistic view of, of the actual power being put into the bike. And the one thing that I might add to that is that's the the better measurement of physiological power. Um, the the other way or the other thing to consider is if you are not very good at bike maintenance, uh, as some triathletes are known to be, and you've never never lubricated your chain properly and, and don't really take care of things, you can actually have pretty significant power losses throughout the drivetrain. So you might be putting out 200 watts at the pedals, but you might be getting 190 at the road. Um, so if you're measuring downstream of all of this, then your power, might, power meter might not accurately reflect the actual power you're putting into the pedals, but it might be a more accurate representation of what's hitting the road. Um, so it's kind of splitting hairs there, but uh, that is a very... I think it's a pretty important distinction because there can be a lot of variation there. Mm -hmm. I agree. And it all depends on what you want to measure and why. So if you're, if you're looking at, and Andrew is absolutely right, you could have 5% difference. Um, but, and if you're interested in measuring, you know, your, the metabolic stress that you're putting on the body, then you may want to be closer to, to the human body as, uh, as Scott pointed out. Um, but if you're maybe doing some aerodynamic testing, then it doesn't really matter how much power your, your, you, you, the rider generating, it's how much power is transmitted from your bike to the road. That's relevant to that calculation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was actually gonna make that same point that yeah, from the, the road standpoint, if you're trying to do, um, like I know that there's software out there to, you know, calculate estimated bike times and all that sort of thing. Um, having something that's the true power that's going into the road is probably going to be more uh, informative because yeah, as Andrew mentioned, I've seen some pretty messy uh, triathlete drive trains out there. So although they think they're, they're flying and pushing good power, you're losing, you know, 10, 20 watts just because your, your chain has Gatorade and, and then whatever else. <laughs> do not, do not lubricate your chain with Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a recommendation. Pro tip number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, the, um, the main measurement, I think we've covered there and how, how you get the actual power. Um, but what are some of the challenges that we see with this measurement? Um, there's a lot of talk about accuracy and what the most accurate power meters are and how do we measure this and how do we compare one to another? Mm -hmm. uh, so what's your take on this very broad subject? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a bit of a, um, yes. you know, it's a rabbit hole you can go down when you start going into where there are accuracies, where there's inaccuracies throughout these um, these systems. Um, to be to be completely honest, like the the companies that are out there now making power meters, everyone's making a really good product. The the accuracy, it's getting down to that same point of splitting hairs of of you know who's more or less accurate. Um, because the the strain gauge technology that that most people use is it's very good at at measuring those you know really fine uh, deformations to get the um, get the numbers out. I find like in terms of um, where, where you want to be measuring power to get the highest accuracy is places where you're not going to have uh, variability. Um, so for example, if you have something like a pedal-based power meter, um, the original iterations of those relied really heavily on you know how much torque you put onto the, the pedal as you were tightening it. And so when you're adding in those extra variables, then you're, you're inherently creating the ability to have a lot more um, inaccuracies, uh, which is obviously an issue, um, versus something like a, uh, like a, a crank arm based power meter, where it's something that's, uh, on a, a firm static surface, which is the crank arm. Um, so then that helps get rid of that variability of, you know, there's, there's just less stuff that can change. Um, so day to day, you're going to have, um, a much more reliable, uh, reading off of those, those types of power meters. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, what, which of them is the most accurate in terms of, you know, hub, spindle, chain ring, whatever. Um, it comes down to the way that the companies approach uh, how they're measuring the strain. Um, so 
uh, ultimately, the, the more information you can get, uh, the better. Um, so what you can do is you can measure, uh, you know, one um, one dimension or one factor of, of the strain affecting, say, the, the crank arm or the, the crank spider. Um, but uh, if you do that, then you might have to use algorithms and base it off of general riding styles to be able to calculate everything else that's going on. Um, so generally speaking, if I was to give advice to someone that's looking for a power meter, um, companies that do more strain measurement means that they're relying less on algorithms. And then that's going to really help with rider to rider variability. Um, so the, you know, the, everyone has a different riding style, although you're in a pretty static position on a bike with, you know, your foot stuck to pedals. Um, everyone's seen out on the road, someone whose knees shoot way out to the side and triathlon. I think Lionel Sanders is a good example of that, that it, videos of him riding and his knees are way out to the side and that sort of thing adds a different um uh strain uh field and response onto a crank arm for example than someone that has a very very narrow um uh, knees as they're they're pedaling which might be more aerodynamic but like it's just affecting the way the force is on the, the pedals um so yeah so especially if you get to the you're more of a fringe rider um then you want to have something that's that includes um yeah, just a more complete actual measurement, physical measurement, as opposed to relying on these sort of um, uh, algorithms. So how would you, if you're purchasing a power meter, how would you look for this kind of information? How would you make the, the distinction between one company and another using different measurement techniques? Yeah, and I think that this, um, you know, different companies do it in different ways. And uh, one, of the, one of the problems is if you're not a mechanical engineer, it can, you know, even what we're saying right now might be getting too much into the weeds for some people. Um, but uh, again, really what I would say to look for is to, to see how complete um, they're measuring their, uh, their strain. Um, so this could be something you could probably find on um, different message boards or reviews, that sort of thing, where someone um, with the technical knowledge maybe has gone into the detail. And then usually there's documentation on, on websites that say this is how we're actually calculating the power. Um, and then again, just the more complete that calculation is and the, the less it relies on um, algorithms, then the better. So the other part of this too would be how it varies throughout the pedal stroke. So capturing the accurate force is one thing, but then integrating it over that, that full revolution is the other thing. So if you're measuring once per cycle and you happen to catch the downstroke, your power numbers could be hugely inflated, but um, obviously you need to measure more than once per pedal stroke. So mm -hmm. what, uh, what kind of differences do you see in the technology there? Yeah, so the the interesting thing about that is that a lot of the power meters that are out there, they use um, AMP Plus as their communication protocol, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about that sort of stuff later. But um, the the general format of AMP Plus is that every quarter second, it's going to send information from the power meter to whatever you're collecting the power from. If you're out on the road, probably a, whatever head unit you have. Um, so the actual data is being sent uh, four times a second, essentially. Um, so that's when it's actually being sent out. But then to your point, like how often is that calculation happening? And so there's going to be a certain amount of averaging that needs to be done um, regardless, because again, you, like, you'll be able to send it at um, uh, a quarter second. Uh, but there's a point where like there's only there's diminishing returns. So if you're if you're calculating things uh, pretty quickly, you know, ideally, maybe a little bit above a quarter um, or one four times per, per revolution or four times per second sorry and then you're going to get the resolution you need um because then there's enough averaging along the thing you're going to have that quarter second average then it goes to your head unit which at best is only going to show a one second average but most people use say a three second average all these averages end up lining up so that any sort of variability in terms of where that uh, data was picked up is going to kind of get um leveled off i guess for lack of a better term um so yeah, I guess the that was a long answer to a shortish question, but um, ideally, you know, the more the more data points you collect, probably the more true that data is going to be. But at the end of the day, you know, you really get diminishing returns because of the limitations of um, how the data is actually being sent, and also um, how the data is being displayed on whatever uh, unit you're using to to check it out. I was going to say a lot of this is proprietary to the company. So even if you try and reverse engineer something from a mechanical standpoint and tear it apart and find how the strain gauges are set up, knowing what they're doing internally, uh, you're very rarely going to be able to reverse engineer that part of it. So you're kind of relying on the honesty of the company and test results, I guess, from them to, to prove how good their algorithm is there. Mm -hmm. And then one, one important thing is the... Uh 
um, with all this. And when we're talking about, you know, how accurate it is, one thing that I find comes up a lot with people, especially if they're new to power meters, is they'll start off with showing, say, a one second power on a head unit. Um, and, you know, you like to think that you're going at a very steady rate when you're cycling, but there's quite a bit of human variability, again, especially if you're not used to a power meter. Um, so even at 4Eyes here, we'll commonly get people that um, that send questions saying like, oh, the, I think the power meter is broken. The power is not varying. It is varying. It's not sitting exactly at 200 watts all the time. And so there's a bit of an education piece there that it's usually more useful to take, say, a three-second average and use that as your display um, because it gets rid of those kind of like micro um, changes that your body does. Uh, because at the end of the day, when we talk about how quick the sampling rate is and how quick this data is being sent out, um, is that essentially the uh, the power meters these days are more accurate than your barometer, your internal barometer of what your power is doing. Um, so it, it's, you know, you can kind of almost get too much data when you start seeing that, um, you know, the, the differences between the downstroke and the upstroke where you're pushing more pressure down on the, the front end of your pedal stroke. And um, that can start leading to looking like a really variable data output, when in reality, it's just the nature of human physiology and the way that a bicycle works. Um, so that little bit of averaging ends up uh, really helping avoid this whole situation. And I've seen the same kind of thing happen actually on Zwift uh, with the, the two protocols looking at Bluetooth and Ant Plus. I think Bluetooth has a higher update frequency. Mm -hmm. So you'll get those spikes when you're doing the downstroke and things like that, where it might look like a higher power number, but that's only for a very small portion of the pedal stroke where Ant Plus, because it's a quarter second that it's being averaged over, it might dampen any of those big pulses. Um, but then it really brings up the question like, what does it actually mean if your instantaneous power on the downstroke is 3000 watts, but that's only for a very small fraction of the the entire pedal stroke? So you, you're kind of getting into the weeds at that point. And I think at the very least, one revolution is the minimum averaging time someone mm -hmm. should have because that's over the full cycle, if not more. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that people sometimes get lost in or don't fully understand. Absolutely, guys. That's a, and that's that is a really important, uh, really important understand thing to understand. And uh, that's sometimes the um, you know the noise that we get when we are uh, adopting a new or somewhat new technology when people first jump into it that they um, they don't maybe appreciate all of the nuances of of what exactly they are seeing. Mm -hmm. So we're we're talking a bit about accuracy here um, and what the most accurate is, but. I've seen very little reference from a lot of manufacturers about what they're measuring against. So it's one thing to say you have 1% accuracy, but what's the standard? What, uh, what test do you do to compare that to? And how do you know that everyone's measuring against the same test? Um, and my sense is that they aren't, is the, the simple <laughs> answer there. Yeah, no, and uh, and that's an interesting point. And, and just to the, the background that um, Andrew gave at the beginning, um, so before I was... Um, working at Four Eyes, I did, uh, I was working through a PhD in engineering. And, uh, and then, so with that, you know, I came in having a very strong background in doing, you know, really controlled, uh, you know, all controlled variables, make sure that you, that nothing's left to chance or, um, or any sort of random, uh, effects. Um, so coming into, uh, you know, this industry and working in this industry where, you know, you do look and you see that there's a lot of claims up on the Internet. Um, the first question that went through my mind is like, well, how can we do this better? Um, so to speak at least to what we do here at Four Eyes is that um, we rely on um, independent testing. So we actually go to a, a university at the University of Boulder in Colorado. Um, there is a, a researcher named Dr. Krem. Um, he does uh his, his traditional research is, is very much in running and then so measuring running economy and um, he works for a lot of shoe companies to test out new products and that sort of thing. Um, but we talked to him about trying to do some independent studies about our power meter accuracy. And so what he uses there is a treadmill. And the advantage of that is that you can break down um, power measurement into really simple fundamental physics. Um, so whereas, you know, it's it's easy for... Um, a reviewer or a consumer out in the field just to take two power meters that are, you know, one maybe one's a crank based and one's a pedal or a hub or whatever. So it's two different parts of the drivetrain. So you can have them on your bike at the same time. 
measure against the two of them, um, that's great. It's a great way to, you know, do a bit of a gut check and make sure that across at least your technologies, you're getting the same numbers. But at the same time, you don't know what errors in each of those power meters. So you're starting off with something that has been calibrated and already has an inherent amount of error. And then that's used as the reference. Um, that's not a very um, stable way to approach it. So doing this test at Boulder where we can measure um, like I said, uh, fundamental physical properties. So treadmill speed, treadmill uh, inclination, rider weight, including the bike, and that can be measured uh, throughout to account for sweat losses and all that sort of stuff. Uh, rolling resistance, which can be accounted for, you can break it down so that you can truly know uh, within a high degree of accuracy, the amount of power required to push a rider forward. And then from that, you can really easily compare that to the power output you get out of the power meter when you're riding. So that's something that we, we've uh, worked on. And like I said, I, I had a strong belief in us, uh, us doing that uh, to get that truth and accuracy. And, and we're hoping that more companies will start taking the similar route um, especially for the consumers out there, because it's um, yeah, it's easy to get lost in the weeds of just seeing, you know, every power meter's got a, an accuracy claim. But what does that mean for for you and and the product you're purchasing, and how is that going to affect your decision? Oh, that's a that's a really cool protocol and uh, one that actually tests you know a real world situation. Not that you often get to ride your bike up a treadmill, but uh, mm-hmm. it is it, it's it's much more analogous to uh, to riding your bike out in the wild compared with, you know, a bench test somewhere in a laboratory. Well, I think there is that one 8,000 euro tax uh, bike treadmill out there. So. Yeah, super cool. Maybe that's something you guys got to get for the office. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put in a request and see what happens. <laughs> Um, Scott, you mentioned a little. Uh, you mentioned uh, communication between the uh, the power meter and the head unit, and how that's important, and how that can affect at least the interpretation of the data that the power meter collects and then um, analyzes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question about uh, about the stability of that signal, and you talked about Ant Plus or, or Bluetooth because I remember, and I was a fairly early adopter too, uh, and in the early days of uh, of power meters and I'm not going to name the company which this was but I had a, a hell of a time with with one power meter brand and uh, signal dropouts and again anec- purely anecdotally from from me and my athletes in the last hmm, I want to say maybe two years or three years that problem has almost disappeared so um, can you can you vouch for that can you confirm that and then can you talk about a little bit about what it is that you guys as, uh, as an industry did to fix it because yeah. it was a huge pain in the ass for a long time. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, because the last thing you want is when you're out on a ride and you go for a sprint and your power meter's reading zero and then there's no proof it ever happened, right? So <laughs> that's right. That's it's all it's all a vanity, uh, a vanity. Yeah, it was all for nothing. It was all for nothing. So, um, anyways, yeah, the, I think the a few important points. So, first of all, is that there's two different communication protocols, and some power meters use one or the other or both. Um, the, the first one is AMP plus, and then that's a communication protocol that's specific to, um, sports equipment. So uh, I was actually developed here in Cochrane, Alberta. So the, um, the founders of four eyes, uh, previously had a company called Dynastream, which, uh, actually came up with AMP plus protocol. And the idea behind that was to try and find a way to have a, um, a, a really easy and efficient communication protocol for foot pods, running foot pods. That was their, the initial um, product development arm. Uh, but anyways, it's stuck. Um, it's it's now sort of the accepted way of, of being able to send information between different pieces of sports equipment. So that's one one uh, one technology. And the important thing with Ant Plus is um, you can think about it like a bit of a, a loudspeaker. So if you have a power meter in uh that's speaking AMP plus, essentially it's just broadcasting out a general signal in all directions. Um, And then anyone that has a device that can display that data can then collect it. It doesn't matter how many devices are collecting it, it's still always gonna send out that information and and more and more people can listen in on that. Um, So like I said, it's kind of like someone shouting in a crowd and and the rest of the crowd is the head units that could pick up that data. Uh, The other way to send the information is over Bluetooth. Uh, so this is, you know, what everyone uses with their cell phone to connect to speakers and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's a, again, it's a really solid protocol to be able to get um, data and information across, especially in the, the size of, of data packets that come with a, a power meter. Um, the one downside or difference for Bluetooth is the fact that it's a, a one-to-one communication. So um, you can think of it a little bit more like a handshake as opposed to that person shouting in a crowd. So 
Uh, if you have a device such as a power meter that's um, speaking to, you know, an app on your cell phone or a Bluetooth enabled head unit, um, that's a one to one connection. So once you make that Bluetooth connection, um, the power meter can't connect to any other uh, device. It's just solely now speaking to that one device. There, There is actually a minor update to that. There's new firmware available or soft device available for the, the chip we use that mm. actually allows multiple concurrent Bluetooth connections. Yeah. Um, because it was a huge pain. If you have one device connected, you can no longer discover what device is actually connected. So it might be sitting in the corner of your room and you can't connect your power meter to your head unit if it's still connected to Zwift on your computer. Um, so that, that update actually makes it a lot easier. It's still one-to-one, -one, but you can do essentially conference calling where there's multiple recipients. Yeah. Yeah. So to Andrew's point, yes, that is a good, um, uh, advancement that has been made. Um, but anyways, that's just sort of the general scope of the two different communication protocols. Um, and then to, to your question, Mike, in terms of, um, uh, like, what does this mean for dropouts and, you know, why is there more or less dropouts? Um, I think a big part of that is, uh, you know, just us getting better as a, as an industry at, at having properly tuned antennas. Um, so having antennas that can really hit a very narrow band, that's going to be able to send the information exactly where you want it to. And uh, that's signal strength. That's going to be, um, effective and then just more experience with the actual protocols themselves. So, um, they're, they're constantly being improved. There's new updates put into say the ant plus protocol, you know, quite often. Um, and there are little things that just make sure that the, the data transfer is going to be more reliable and kind of has more checks and balances to make sure that the, you know, the timing of receiving and sending packets is lined up and, and, uh, and we, we make sure that we miss those dropouts. But I do agree that, you know, the early years of me using a, a power meter, there was a lot more dropouts than now. And, uh, and I, with the, the role that I'm in now, I have the opportunity to ride with a lot of different power meters just to check out to see what's out on the market. And I find that sort of across the board that uh, companies are you know, much, much better at avoiding those dropouts. Um, and I think we'll see that keep on improving. Um, one, one important thing to note as well is that also from the head unit standpoint, um, again, there's, there's better and better antennas that are receiving those signals and, and, and algorithms to, you know, collect, uh, compute and, and display the data. Um, so on that end, um, there's also a, a reliance on, on them improving. Uh, but we do find even on, um, you know, every once in a while, there'll be a new head unit company or a new head unit will come out where that, that specific um, model might uh, lead to more dropouts. And it can usually be something that we can go in and, and tweak the, uh, the software a little bit um, with the, uh, with the head unit manufacturer, and then that will usually clean up those, those dropouts. So, you know, there's kind of some, some silver bullets that you can look for. And, and if you can address those and you can make sure that you, you avoid this dropout situation. One of the other challenges to point out too, is that especially if you're in an indoor environment, there's a lot of noise in that, uh, typically the 2.4 gigahertz band. Um, so a microwave, for example, can, if someone turns on the microwave upstairs and you're riding on the trainer, that can cause dropouts, uh, just the Wi-Fi signals, things like that. There's a ton of noise going on in the background. And I know in the past at trade shows, uh, with, uh, with a, a product that would typically have a very good range, it might be limited to a few feet mm -hmm. um, just because there's so much ambient uh, wireless noise. So that, that is one of the challenges because just in general, the environment is getting much noisier, but uh, I, I think the technology is improving faster than that. So that's why generally it has been improving. Great. That's a, that's a great explanation, guys. Um, the next question I want to pose is a, is a question that I get asked a lot uh, in my capacity as a coach from people who, you know, maybe we had a conversation about power and, uh, and they're convinced uh, to go out and buy a power meter. Uh, and one of the the obvious uh, distinctions in the market right now, one of or the one of the obvious options in the market is: Do you buy a single sided power meter or a dual sided power meter? Where obviously the dual sided will measure. Uh, power from each leg, whereas a single sided will just take, you know, one leg and multiply by two. Uh, there's uh, a clear cost increase associated with, uh, with going with the dual sided power meter. So what's the, um, what, wh how do you think about that? And uh, how do you think about justifying the extra cost of a, of a dual sided system? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and again, that's one that, that we get a lot. Um, 
just because like it's, you know, as you mentioned, it is a significant increase in price whenever you go for that dual system. So I think the real question comes down to um, what are you hoping to get out of your power meter and how much money do you have to burn to get there? Right. So um, in terms of, of a choice for someone that's new to power, um, what I typically will recommend is that um, starting off with a single side power meter is usually the, the best approach. Um, with a single side, um, the, the one thing uh, to keep in mind is the whole uh, accuracy versus precision. Um, they're, they're two uh, very similar things, but they're slightly different. Um, so accuracy refers to, you know, if you're pushing, your total body is pushing, say, 200 watts, um, it's saying, okay, how close to 200 watts are you getting showing up on your head unit uh, from what's being read off of your your um, uh, power meter? Uh, whereas precision is more so if you were to go out and, you know, ride at 200 watts on 10 different days, um, how consistent compared to 200 watts is your power all the time? So precision is a little bit more about that consistency, whereas um, accuracy is more about that absolute uh, number. Um, so the, the, the kind of pros and cons of the single side unit, the pros, it's, it's um, less expensive. Um, the accuracy for the side that it's measuring is going to be quite high. Like there's no, there's not gonna be a limitation there, but the downside is that the accuracy of the overall system, uh, might not be perfect. So what that means is that everyone's got different left, right balances. Um, you're also, your left, right balance will change as you're doing different riding styles. So you might be um, you know, you're, you're 48% and on your left leg and 52% on your right. So that means you're a little bit right leg dominant. It might be like that at low powers, but then as soon as you get above 200 Watts or 300 Watts, uh, you might shift to being perfectly 50, 50 balance. Um, so a lot of single side units, what they'll do is they'll simply just take whatever data they're collecting on the leg they're measuring, double it. And then that's what's spit out as the power. So um, speaking to that precision and accuracy, that means that it might not ultimately be truly accurate to what your total power is. Um, it's going to be precise because it's always going to be doing the same doubling at the same different intensities. Um, so you're going to still be able to get a very reliable power number. Um, there's also uh, more and more companies are doing this for as does it, uh, for example, but you can um, go in and put into the, uh, the firmware essentially what, um, what balance you typically have. So if you know your on average a 4852 rider, you can program this into your power meter, um, which helps improve that accuracy and gets you closer to having that true power number. Um, but again, your left right balance is going to vary a bit um, depending on the kind of power you're pushing. You know, if you're sitting standing, like all these different factors like that. So um, that's kind of where the single side's at. But for someone that's new to power, like I said, I think that it's, it's, a better option because you're going to still get that precision, which means you're going to get that consistency, which means that you're going to be able to still use that as a tool to train day in and day out. So you'll always know that your power meter is going to give you a reliable number. Um, so in terms of your workouts and testing, if you're doing, you know, an FTP test, um, it's always going to be the same sort of left, right balance that's going on. So you're always going to still be able to judge exactly your effort versus that, that power meter system. Now, the advantage of going to the dual system is that you get over that um, calculation part of the power where, you know, you're doubling the one side. You're actually collecting the power data and the strain data from both sides of the of the bicycle. So from both legs directly. And because of that, you're going to get not only a very precise value like you did with the, uh, the single side, but you're also going to get a more accurate number in terms of uh, what absolute power you actually pushing into the bike to um uh, to generate your power. So that's one good advantage there. And then the other one is that it can allow you to identify a left-right imbalance. So if you, um, especially people that are getting over an injury or have an injury creeping up or broke their leg as a kid, like all these different things can affect your life left-right balance. Um, and so it's a great thing to be able to monitor because obviously the more balanced you can keep your pedal stroke, um, the, the less prone you'll be to injury because you're not going to start, um, torquing your body in a weird way. Um, so it can be a great tool for um, both rehab, but also preventative uh, measures. So you can make sure that uh, if you start having something that shows up as more and more of a left-right balance, maybe that means that you're favoring a leg because you're starting to have a muscle or tendon tear or whatever it may be. Um, and then so you can maybe take some time off the bike to, uh, to work on a weight program or work with a specialist to try and be able to um, deal with whatever those imbalances are to make sure that you're, you're going to avoid future injuries down the road.
That's a super cool use case, uh, Scott. The the one about monitoring, you know, monitoring the balance over time and seeing which way it goes. Because, you know, the the traditional uh, the traditional case for it that I've heard in the past is, well, if you identify an imbalance, you can work to correct it. And my my problem with that uh, line of reasoning is that I couldn't. I never could see a uh, prescription for correcting that imbalance. But looking at it from a um, uh, you know from a rehab perspective, when you know you're going to have an imbalance because you're coming off an injury, or from a preventative perspective of of trying to catch an injury because before it becomes an acute one, uh, that is a very cool very cool use case. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that uh, I worked as a coach as well, and and even just in my own training that. Um, I always found it very difficult to to get an athlete and also for myself to, you know, if you have that left-right balance up on your your um, display, um, especially if you get tired in a workout, the last thing that you want to worry about is which leg's pushing harder. Yeah. Um, so I find that it's really difficult to, um, uh, you know, every second of a ride to be using that data for, for direct feedback. But it's a great thing just to glance at every once in a while to get an idea and um, and see sort of what's going on. And again, just to be able to identify stuff down the road or um, to see how rehab's going. Uh, but I always uh, always try and recommend people if they do start seeing an imbalance or if they're using a dual power meter for the first time and they see a big imbalance, um, it's usually a red flag to go see, say, an athletic therapist or a physiotherapist, and they can help get you some sort of program to be able to help straighten uh, straighten out whatever that imbalance is. It's a lot easier to work on a muscular flexibility imbalance off of the bike as opposed to on the bike. Cool. Thank you. I think I'm going to have to take a closer look at this when I'm doing my training. <laughs> I've had a number of knee injuries in the past, and uh, no, it's, it's a great way to diagnose and to, to predict something like that coming up. The the next question that we have is related to um, just kind of the, the current state of the art, um, as well as potentially what would be coming in the future. So I know that there's been a new release of Shimano cranks, and there's been some talk about this, um, but the asymmetric uh, design, and I know that's caused some headaches for a number of companies. So what's why is this a problem, first of all, and how are different people looking at correcting it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question, Andrew, and it's something that's been coming up that, yeah, the Shimano um, 105 Altegra Endure's crank sets, the newest generation, will have um, crank asymmetry, um, which um, without going too much into the um, mechanical engineering weeds of it all, um, essentially what that means is that when you're pushing on uh, one side of the pedal, um, you're always going to have a certain amount of force that gets translated to the other side. Um, and then, so that's sort of affecting the whole system as a whole of, of you know, what force is being read off of uh, which part of a, a power meter. Um, so b- the previous generations were much more symmetrical, uh, which meant that, um, you know, you could essentially ap- apply a single factor that would be able to account for that. Um, but with the new asymmetric cranks, what it means is that there's this dynamic effect that's happening from one side of the, the crank to the other that changes as you go through the pedal stroke. Um, so it's uh, it's very difficult to deal with because you're just adding an extra amount of, or an extra variable essentially um, that's constantly changing in the pedal stroke um, that would directly affect accuracy and directly affect the measurements being made. Um, so it's something that's specific um, in in my arm of the industry where we're dealing with crank arms and that's where we're measuring the the strain. Um, it's uh, it's something that uh, all the companies, uh, including ours, that are having to deal with. Um, there's, there's various ways to approach it. Um, one thing that we do, uh, kind of speaking previously to, uh, comment earlier about what's the most accurate way to measure power is that with our power meter, we measure three dimensions of strain, uh, which we're the only crank based power meter that does that. So we don't use any algorithms when we're measuring the strain. So that means that we're actually getting a, a much broader picture of what's happening as the strain uh, stress is being applied to the cranks and, and the resultant strain. Um, so that helps us just in the first place be a little bit more accurate with that initial calculation, um, which is great. And then beyond that, it's trying to figure out um, a way to, uh, to to calibrate the power meter. So in the industry, um, calibration is really the secret sauce behind it all. Um, it's really easy to throw a, a strain gauge onto something and, and, and get a measurement off of it. But to relate that measurement to um, a very accurate power is a very difficult thing to do. 
Um, so every company and it's, it's very proprietary, so we won't go too much into the details of this or, or I probably won't have a job <laughs> tomorrow, but, um, but what we've done is we've looked at the calibration process and found ways to, um, account for the fact that we have this, um, this effect that transfers from sort of one side of the crank to the other. Um, we can account for that to just make sure that we actually maintain the, the accuracy that, uh, um, that we hold ourselves to. So, um, in terms of, of testing that. Um, we do bring these these cranks and and did have to work through a lot of challenges in the initial release of these crank sets. Um, worked through those challenges and then brought these these cranks. So, for example, we just released another um, paper on the, our our ninety one hundred our Durace crank sets um, and their their accuracy. So we're still proving out how accurate they are. Um, and then moving into the future, we'd also like to do some testing just to validate the left right balance. So being able to to separate out that. Um, left and right balance um, during uh, one of these tests to be able to show exactly that uh, the balance is as expected, which would be one of those things that would be most affected by this asymmetry um, effect. So uh, one of the, the downsides of the way that um, power meters work and information sent over AMP Plus is that um, essentially what you get is the overall power gets spit out, even if you have a dual system. And then the uh, power meter just sends a percentage of um, what one leg is putting out. And then the head unit's doing the rest of the calculation. So your left-right balance that you see on your screen only has a resolution of 1%. And when we're talking about measuring accuracies down to 1%, that leaves um, you know a, a margin of error that makes it really difficult to, to retroactively look at data and analyze data that you've collected from a test to see how accurate that left-right balance is. Um, so yeah, so we'll do ways of directly measuring the power off of each crank arm individually, and then using that as our measure to see um, to see if we're you know effectively dealing with this this asymmetry issue. Cool. A lot of uh, detail that I'm sure people never even consider. So a, a really neat peek behind the curtain there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those things that again, like it's, it seems super simple, you know, you just measure how much a crank's bending and then you, you know what the power is, but, um, they're very dynamic systems and, you know, there's always, um, different changes. Like for example, with the, the Shimano asymmetric cranks, um, it makes it, uh, you know, it's maybe a much cooler looking crank, but it, uh, it gives a lot of headaches to, uh, my engineering friends here in the building. <laughs> So I guess the, the final question that we have for you then, uh, what do you see in the future? At least things that you can talk about with, like you said, not losing your job tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, uh, how do you see the industry going and, and what's what's next? What's next? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, there's interesting and, and, and new technologies that are coming out all the time. There's a lot of power meter companies that are that are popping up. Uh, we mentioned earlier about how the, like, there's been a recent release um, from SRAM with a chain ring uh, based power meter. So I think um, there's the opportunity to see power being measured on different pieces of equipment, um, which could open the door to you know more cost effective solutions or more robust solutions, um, more just easy to use solutions. Um, I think that that will be something that, that we'll have moving forward. Um, another really important point, I think, is the uh, the pricing of, of power meters. Um, it's, again, getting my first one, um, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and if you go back even 20 years ago, like it was not something that, you know, you could kind of pick up on a whim. So it was really just kept to people that were racing and training at an elite level. Um, whereas these days, um, you know, there, there's options out there on the market that are as, as low as a couple hundred bucks. So um, it really becomes if you have, you know, a bike that's a couple thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars, it's a very small uh, incremental increase to get a power meter put onto that bike. So I think one of the biggest things that we'll see in the coming years is just a, a more ubiquitous use of power meters. So, um, you know, it could get to the point where there's just power meters that are that come with bikes. So instead of just buying a bike and having to buy a power meter, I'm um, seeing them spec'd on bikes more and more. I think that that's going to be a trend that that happens moving forward, and, uh, and it will become something that's really just a coffee shop chat. Someone says, "Oh, I just got a new power meter," and, and then someone says, "Oh, what's a power meter?" And then you know you can go out the next day and buy that power meter. It's not you have to save up for the next six months and sell your firstborn child to afford <laughs> one. So um, I think those are going to be the two biggest things that are going to happen, um, and then uh, and beyond that, just you know the incremental improvements of having. 
um, you know, better and better accuracy as we move forward. And again, to the dropout question, uh, just fewer and fewer dropouts. So um, making sure that there's always consistent data being uh, being put out there. Um, and then I think another interesting side of it will just be how the technology develops for collecting that data and analyzing that data and, and putting it into packages that's useful for, say, an end consumer that knows nothing about power, but they still want to use one, um, to, uh, you know, coaches and high-level athletes being able to dig deeper into their training to, you know, kind of get out every last little ounce of strength and, and energy to, you know, win an Olympic gold medal or, or whatever it looks like in their, their position. I love that answer. The uh, the democratization of power, the fact that it is less expensive, and as I mentioned earlier in the in my intro to power, that I'm definitely seeing that. Um, one of the reasons that there's so much more adoption of power is, you know, the obviously the 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 increased understanding and appreciation of its value, but also the fact that you know you 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 no longer have to sacrifice a bike to get a power meter. You can you can have both or many. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, for, for somebody, you know, somebody in my position, uh, you know, in coaching, that is tremendously valuable, you know, in the, let's say 15 or 20 percent of my cohort that's that doesn't use power. Um, it's it's it makes my job a lot harder to do to give them the kind of the quality direction of for their training that uh, I'm able to do for someone who uh, who is training with power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion today. I think it's more of an in-depth look than I've ever been able to find online anywhere. And <laughs> I learned a few things despite working alongside you. So, uh, so it's been just, it's been fantastic and a great opportunity for everyone just to learn a little bit more about what goes into power meters and what makes them different. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having me guys. I was really excited to come and chat and talk about power meters. Yeah, that's uh, that. I, I echo what Andrew said. And um, uh, Scott, if there's anything that uh, you want to plug, obviously, Four Eyes has been in our um, has been in our show notes as as a website. Uh, so that's that's going to go in there regardless. But if there's anything that uh, you know a new product that's released and you can talk about that we can uh, point folks to on the on the products page, uh, we're happy to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the only thing that I'd say is just that, uh, yeah, like I've been working at Four Eyes for about a year now, and, and really um, have really been impressed with the engineering that goes behind the products here. And I think we put out really good products, so I'd encourage people to go and, and check it out online. You can go to our website, um, and then another big thing is just. Um, uh, taking the time to read through our, our different um, uh, independent tests that we've been doing. I think this is something that really sets us apart from some of the other companies on the market that, uh, like I said, we believe in having that truth in advertising and really showing um, showing some meat to back up our claims. So I hope other companies will start doing this as well. Um, being a consumer, um, I love to see this kind of thing across the board. Um, but uh, yeah, at least at Four Eyes, we've got some great documentation to back it up. So I'd uh, encourage people to go online to our website and uh, check some of those links to to read up on our on our white papers. Yeah, and we'll provide a specific link to the to the white papers as well. Thanks for that. That's great. So I like the trend that's happening here in our recordings. Uh, the last episode that we recorded with Alan Havda, um, we put out a challenge for everyone to uh, to ante up and and talk about their own aerodynamic drag and see who the most aerodynamic triathlete is. Now we're challenging <laughs> all the other power meter companies to do the same kind of accuracy testing. So I like where this is heading. <laughs> you have to, you have to 3d print a, a power meter accuracy award. That's a little bit, that's going to be a little bit more of an abstract design challenge for you, Andrew, in your spare time. I'll print a percent sign. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, uh, Scott, and uh, everyone listening, thank you very much for, for taking the time. And if you enjoy the show, please do tell your friends and uh, share our posts on, uh, on social media and uh, rate us and review on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs>